Oh, a thumbs up or something would distinguish. All right, well, we're here. They saw me just staring off in the distance for a minute there out there in the uh, cyber world. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to continue our discussion on the New Testament church. Um, obviously, we are at the uh, Jesus was the, uh, I'm sorry, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, which you receive through belief, repentance, and baptism. And we still have the church was more than a community of believers. They were a fam the family of God, which we are going to get to. We probably still have a couple weeks of discussions on the Holy Spirit. So let's pray real quick and then we'll, uh, we'll just jump right in tonight. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We're grateful for this time where we can be together and just study your word. Lord, none of us in here claim to um, know it perfectly or um, be able to um, perfectly interpret your word, but we're all here to learn together and grow together and try to take your word and put it in context and, and then apply it to our lives and, and how, not, just, not just our lives personally, but our life as part of this church, as part of this body of believers that is part of your greater church, your kingdom, your body. So Father, um, just bless us with our discussion tonight. We really want to be, we want to honor and, and be as close to as we, uh, as we can possibly be to the church that you established in, in the New Testament, Lord. So we pray that you guide our conversation that... Um, that when we feel like there's something we need to say or that we can add to the conversation that we have the boldness to say it. And Father, just bless us and be with us as we look at something that's very difficult, even though it's a part of you, even though it's part of God. Lord, the Holy Spirit is in some ways a mystery. So Father, just bless our, our, our discussion tonight. Give us wisdom and understanding. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so just based on our discussion last week, don't, don't for those of you who are um, brilliant, which we have several in this class, don't go too far ahead of the discussion. But what did, um, what is the Holy Spirit to us? God's gift, that's true. It's the comforter, that's true. He lives in us, dwells in us. That's true. Go ahead, Chuck. Sign that we're his. It's the, yeah, it's the sign that we're his. It's the seal of our salvation. So I apologize. I got to flip through a few of these scriptures here. These are all the scriptures. I just want you to see. I just want you to see. I don't, I, this wasn't on purpose, but when I went to switch over my slideshow tonight, because I have a big slideshow I work off of, and then I give you chunks at a time of it. Um, my formatting messed up all over the whole thing, and I, didn't, I did not have time to reformat everything. So you're getting my master slides tonight. So I apologize, because there's several, I just want you to see this too, though. There are several scriptures that we went through um, last week that wouldn't be on this slideshow um, if it weren't for that. But these are all the different things we discussed this is one I wanted to kind of park on just one more time. It's, it's a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There's so much about 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. There's a, a power we discussed. Seems like the energy or the power of God is represented in the Spirit. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, it searches everything. It, not just, it doesn't just search the depths of our own soul, but it even searches the depths of God. So, <clears throat> I wanted to, um, I felt like we needed to lay a, a foundation on something that involves the Holy Spirit, but not maybe the way you would normally think in a conversation with the Holy Spirit. And that is apostles. Before we go any further <clears throat> into the discussion of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, I think it's really important to establish what an apostle is. So, um, I know most of you probably already know this, so we'll do it really quick. But in Mark chapter 3, he gives us a list of the 12 disciples. And it also says in there, whom were also the names of the apostles. Now, um, so you have Simon, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, the other James, we'll call him just for the sake of uh, tonight, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas, who betrayed him. So you have 12 disciples who were originally um, picked to be the 12 apostles. Acts chapter 1, Peter, if you, if you don't like that because Judas is part of that list, I want you to see what Peter says in Acts chapter 1. He says, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted with share in this ministry. So he had, he was part of the ministry of Jesus. He was part of those who were sought out to be uh, the apostles of the New Testament church. Um, but unfortunately, um, he was the one that was written about beforehand that would betray Jesus, that would come from his own fold. So he uses these scriptures. He says, for it is written in the book of songs, may his camp become desolate and let there be no, no one to dwell in it and let, and let another take his office. So if you look at Psalm 109, I didn't want to go there. It's, it's, um, it's, in, it's a very interesting psalm. Um, it starts out where I think David is talking about himself in the persecution that he's enduring, but you could easily see that it's, the, it's a very similar persecution. It's, it could be, you could even say the same type of persecution um, that Jesus goes through himself. But then it switches and it starts talking about him when he was at, one, at the beginning talking about himself. Now he's talking about this other person. And this other person is Judas at least according to Acts chapter 1 and Peter's interpretation. And it actually says a lot of very, very tough things um, about Judas, not only Judas, but um, his life after he betrays Jesus, um, his wife, um, his children. Um, basically, it says that essentially, hopefully his name will be blotted out of the next generation, which is interesting because how many people do you know named Judas? It's not a popular name. People name their kid Judas. I've never met a single person 
honestly named Judas myself. I'm not saying there's none out there. Um, but it's, it seems to be where you have a lot of biblical names that have been carried on from generation to generation. You look up Matthew, there's a, a million Matthews in the world. Probably a lot more than that. But Judas is not a name that you see with that. So it speaks very um, harshly of, of Judas um, in Psalm 109, especially once you put together that Peter's connecting that psalm with it, and you can read it very plainly. Um, so that's the problem. And Peter's saying, here's the problem. We're missing somebody who was supposed to be part of the ministry, and because of that in Psalm 109, it says about this guy that we need to replace him. Then it says in verse 21, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. So what is the requirement? It's right up there in yellow. What is the requirement? Have to be there from the beginning, specifically his, from his baptism to, yeah, until, he, until his ascension. So you had to be there, a part of the people, the 12 disciples, if you will, that were following Jesus every single day, being part of his life. These were the qualifications. Now, remember it says there was 120 in the room. They come up with two names. Joseph, and I, it's funny because I always forget his name. That's my middle name, Joseph. But and then I, every time I read the scripture, I remember why, because he doesn't have just one name. So if, if you think it's um, really good to give your child a whole bunch of different names, maybe it actually makes them more forgettable. I don't know. It's just the way it is for me. I never remember Joseph, but maybe it's also because the second one is Matthias. And he's the chosen one. And I don't know if you see Matt in there, but I like that. Um, don't act like the word doesn't hit you like that every now and then yourself. It just does. So Matthias gets chosen out of those two men. It's interesting to me also that they cast lots for them. But I guess that's a way you can say um, it's in the hands of God. Um, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So how many apostles do we have? 12 apostles, just like 12 tribes. Is there only 12 apostles though? At this point, that's true. Now go ahead. Is there only 12 apostles? No, there's 13. Who's the 13th? Paul. Paul's the 13th apostle. Now, we don't know, but I think it's probably safe to say, considering that he was a Pharisee, that he probably had run-ins. He probably might even have saw some of his mentors have run-ins specifically with Jesus. I mean, Jesus had a lot of run-ins with the Pharisees. So he probably spent some time there. I think it's safe to say that there's a chance, at least, that he spent some time seeing Jesus during his ministry. But was Paul present from baptism to ascension? like the 11 disciples minus Judas or Joseph or Matthias. He was not. So I want, I want you to see, I'm coming back to you, I do want you to see though that there are, even though there are 
to me, what I think is very specific qualifications of, of apostles, in almost everything with Scripture, there is going to be an anomaly. There's going to be an aha, I gotcha. If you just draw a line every single time and say this will never happen, almost every single time there is a little bit of something in the Scripture. This is what we're seeing here. We see the, the, the qualifications of the apostle clearly defined by the, the disciples in Acts chapter 1, but you see Christ himself on the road to Damascus, right? He changes that because he picks somebody that's not part of that group. In fact, he picks potentially the greatest enemy of the church, which ends up becoming extremely important to skeptics and to people who would say, I don't know about all this. Paul can look at him and say, well, I, didn't, I didn't know either. <laughs> I didn't know either. Um, so this is a contentious point for Paul. Even though there's nobody in here right now that's ready to debate uh, the fact that Paul's an apostle, in the New Testament churches there were plenty who did. Now, I'm sorry if I went way past what you were going to say, Chuck. But. Well, there was one common criteria. Okay. Jesus personally picked That's right. every single apostle. That's right. That's right. And Paul says that multiple times in his writings. He says that exact thing, that Christ picked him. Um, so look at these real quick. Galatians 1. Go ahead, Paul. I'll... It's okay. I'll cause you a problem. But... It's all right. Go ahead. No, not you. I didn't mean it that way. But... <laughs> in Acts 14, verse 14, yeah. it says this. But when the apostles... Barnabas and Paul heard of it. Well, wait a minute. I thought there were only 13. Mm. So at some point, we have to address that. Okay. Well, I... <laughs> you know, even though sometimes you're selected to be the teacher, it doesn't necessarily mean you are, right? You all know that, right? Which is why I constantly tell you, I don't know everything in the Bible, and you can't just uh, take my interpretation for yourself. But... Where was that at? Tell me again. Acts 14, verse 14. It says, But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to chew on that one. Might be wrecking my whole paradigm tonight. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We're gonna, I'm going to chew on that one. Everybody else, disregard what you just heard. Uh, and we're just going <laughs> to... Um, you know, you, you study the Bible for, I would say in this point in my life, 31 years, and you think you're completely prepared for a class and somebody throws a monkey wrench right at the beginning. can happen to any of us. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm going to chew on that one. You always make it clear every time you read the Bible, you learn something new. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable how deep the book really is. Um, it's, it's godly. If you, if you really spend any time studying, it's really hard not to look at it and understand it's godly. Very few books can even remain relevant for a handful of years in your life, and it can remain relevant all through your life in all times and seasons. I guess there's one way we could look at it if we chose to. Go ahead. Are you trying to save me? Because I need it. Paul and Barnabas were sent on a mission. Yeah. 
the word apostle means sent. Yeah. So it could it could be in that context rather than in the context of one of the twelve. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. But that's still I still got to chew on that. One. I got to chew on that one. I got to chew on that one. Um, well, let's just go through what I have anyway, huh? Shall we? Um, <laughs> Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not for men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, Father, who raised him from the dead. Also in Romans 1, Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And this is that moment in Galatians 1, he explains it really well. This is, this is after he has that, that confrontation, if you want to call it that, that experience, um, um, that moment of clarity where uh, after that he's left with blindness, where he has that first real experience with Jesus, where Jesus tells him he's called him to the Gentiles. So he has that moment. He gets the blindness. He gets healed from the blindness. And then it says this in verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, Notice he talks about this. This is, a, this is a specific calling, I believe, as well. And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years... He spends three years doing ministry, explaining the gospel of Christ before he ever talks to one apostle, one other apostle. He says, so after three years, I went up to Jerusalem and visited Cephas, whose name is also Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. So he's only had, at least at this point, after these three years and 15 days, he's only had conversation with Peter and James of all the apostles. Second Peter chapter 3. This doesn't exactly, it's okay. This doesn't exactly say apostle, but I want you to see what Peter writes about Paul. Verse 15, and count the patience, chapter 3, verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. So what, what do you think that Peter is trying to say with, the, with that um, underlined part there in the scripture, according to the wisdom given him. Knowledge came directly from God. Yeah, his knowledge came from God. His knowledge came from? How about the Holy Spirit? So Peter... Even though he doesn't say he's an apostle, specifically in this moment, 
He says, our beloved brother who's been given knowledge by God, by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So he doesn't deny it. Even though there's many in the New Testament church that did. This is one of those moments. We, we went through this um, a while ago now, I guess, 1 Corinthians. And we couldn't park, our, we couldn't park the bus on um, places the way we're going to tonight from 1 Corinthians, but this is one of those moments. Paul is defending his apostleship. He's defending his position as an apostle. And he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are, you, are, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others am I, I am not apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So what, according to Paul, is his seal? The spirit. The product. Which is, in this specific case, it's the church of Corinth, right? It's the people in Corinth. It's what's happening in Corinth. Now, what's interesting about that is, and, and, and those of you who came faithfully through 1 Corinthians, is this the church that we all strive to be like in the New Testament? If you had to pick one of the churches in the New Testament, is this the one you say, I really hope North Brevard ends up looking just like the church in Corinth? No. <laughs> no. That's coming from an elder. So I'd say that's on good authority. No, they had a lot of problems. Paul, I know you want to say something. I see it. No? Oh, okay. I, I suppose I could say one more thing. Go ahead. <laughs> Start wrenches tonight. You, you put out there on the scriptures that James, the Lord's brother, was also an apostle. That's 50. You uh, <laughs> read right over that. Thing. I'm, um, Okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> Can the camera reach me over here? I think I'm going to teach from over here. Okay. Listen, I'm going to chew on all this. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So we're up to 15 apostles. <laughs> I mean, I'm learning. I'm, go ahead. Some of them may have been killed by now. Yeah, they had to keep replacing them. Is that what you're saying? It's probably fair to say that the scriptures have identified 15 people called apostles. Yeah, that's probably fair. I'll go with that. I'll go with that for now. Okay. Doug, you got anything you want to throw in there right now? No? Okay. We're going to move on yet again. But I do want you to see that there's something that he's staking his claim of apostleship on, and that is the church. And it's not the best church. The important part about all of this, to help you get back really quick. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Jesus was the one who picked Paul. That's right. Period. That's right. Just and, like Jesus was the one who picked the other 11. That's right. And we're going to see something special with Paul and Barnabas a little bit later as well. So we can throw Barnabas in there, James' brother of the Lord. We're going to chew on that. 
Um, I, don't have an, I don't have a scripture to bail me out on that one yet. Um, he also says this in his second letter to the church of Corinth. He says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So I want you to see, too, that Paul is constantly, all through his ministry, he's not just defending who he is. He's not just being attacked by the church like we discussed when we were going through his um, prison epistles. But he's also, his authority is being questioned as an apostle. Um, and he's just defending himself. And one of the things he points out just so happens to be some of the power that they see when he's around. You see that, right? I know I'm only giving you one scripture, and that's my pet peeve, but if I give you everything in context, it will take six weeks instead of three weeks. Okay. With us, they say if anyone questions us, we should be ready to give an answer. Yeah. Are you saying because I'm not right now on... Um... <laughs> No, I was talking about Paul and they question his authority. Yeah. They will question us too yeah. today. Yeah, well, I, I, if you put those two scriptures together, which I think is important, maybe I was going to get past it too quick, but if you do put those two scriptures together, he says, not only, he says, I'm an apostle and you are my workmanship, you are the proof that I'm an apostle. The church that I've planted in Corinth is proof that I'm an apostle. But then he also says that the works of the apostle were performed among them. And then he talks about signs and wonders and mighty works. Mighty works, um, some can also interpret as miracles. Okay, so there, there is a power that is possessed by the apostles. I do want you to see that because I think it's extremely important and I think it will help us um, going through further in the study whether James, the brother of Jesus, is an apostle or not. Or Barnabas. Um, oh, okay. I told you this was going to be a fun one tonight. Although I didn't see that one coming. Go ahead, Doug. Just FYI, it looks like the Catholics say there are 23 named apostles. I'm just saying. Just found on the internet. Name them. Name them right now. I guarantee we're going to knock some of those right off the list. <laughs> That's what Ben Franklin said. Ben Franklin said there's 23 apostles? Uh, he said, don't believe everything you hear on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost control of class. Here's what the Catholics say, according to Catholic.org. Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas. Judas is replaced by Matthias, number 13. Okay, okay. Barnabas and Andronicus, Junia, Silas, Timothy, Apollos, Mark, Luke, and Paul. Send me that list in my email. I've also seen somebody say that Jesus Christ calls himself an apostle at one point. This is not... Okay, send me that list. That's going to be more I'm going to chew on along with these others we've already discussed. And I'm going to get back to you guys on all this. Um, maybe. Um, <laughs> what? So there's 12 chosen by Jesus, but then there's more that were added later. Is that what? There is that. Well, there's. Okay. Yeah. 
Let's make this clear. Okay, the one thing that we see very specifically in scripture is if you are an apostle, you were called by Christ himself. It's not a random act. That's why I said it's weird in Acts chapter one that they cast lots. Maybe that was so nobody could say they just picked who they wanted out of the two and they gave the power to God. But ultimately, even Peter, when he says, hey, we got to come up with a new apostle. Here are the parameters they name Two, he's also using scripture to reference why they need to replace Judas. Okay, don't forget as well that when we're going through what Paul specifically said about himself, he's pointing out over and over and over again, he was called by God from even before he was born. And in the case of Barnabas, the Holy Spirit set them aside, Paul and Barnabas, uh, and sent them on their way. I'm going to get there. <laughs> I'm, I have that one. Go ahead, Doug. Jim White said you're doing great. Hey, thank you, Jim. Thank you. I'm not feeling like it right now, but we're going to get there. No, I'm just kidding. This is a good conversation. I just like to have fun with it. And you know, it's fun when y'all surprise me with things. I'll be honest, in youth ministry, that doesn't happen very often. So this is fun for me. Um, okay, so I have, let me make sure this is right. Go ahead. You, you gotta put in the in the yeah. pot and let it stew a little bit is that the criteria that was identified in Acts 2 yeah. for an apostle. I think that needs to be part of it. Yeah, there's no doubt that um, they didn't just they didn't just um, it was okay. So you know what? Let's let's go there real quick. Why was that criteria important? What did all of the, let's say it like this, of the original 12 slash 13, specifically being, if you're counting Judas, which the scripture does seem to indicate was at least picked for, but betrayed, right? So of those, what did they all specifically have in common? They were all eyewitnesses. Yeah, they were all eyewitnesses from his baptism to his ascension. They were not speaking on things they had heard from other people. They were speaking on things that they had seen with their own eyes. And I, I do think there is something very important with that in Acts, Acts chapter 1. So I'm glad you brought that back up, William. Now let's throw more monkey wrenches in, shall we? Okay. We believe... And I think Acts chapter 2 lays out very simply that there is a process that we go through that gives us access to the Holy Spirit. What is that process? Yeah, it's the death, burial, and resurrection. It is baptism. It's actually putting it all together like in Romans 6, right? Our death, burial, and resurrection is baptism. We're partaking in the sacrifice death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through baptism. All right. So, I want, I, but I would not, it would not be fair to skip over. Now, I want to show you again. We're going to look at some anomalies. These are the anomalies. If you can find more, Paul, show them to me after class. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, 
But these are the anomalies, at least, let me say, I shouldn't say so boldly maybe, but I'm pretty sure these are the only anomalies that you will find where things happen in a little bit different way. Okay? Now I want to say that first because I believe, and let me state this before we even get into it, I believe that just like Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says, we repent, we're baptized, we receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But just like we discussed in our first part of the discussion, that you have the same Spirit being the one Holy Spirit, which Paul, when we get to the gifts of the Spirit, he's going to say that over and over and over again. Even though it's this, it's of the same Spirit. Even though it's this, it's of the one Spirit. All right, And that's because they came from a place where they believed in many gods, so they would worship this God for this and this God for that. There's one Spirit that's giving to everyone. But the way that the Spirit gives to us is different. And that's for purpose. Alright? So, but now we're going to have some fun. Because some things did happen in a way that is a little bit unexpected. This is Acts chapter 10. This is Cornelius' house. Okay? It says this. So he's, Peter has come to, to preach. Don't forget the context as well of the dream that he's had and the picnic that's come out and all the food being clean and Jesus trying to get through to Peter that the Gentiles were just, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't like an adoption. It wasn't like, oh, if you do these specific things like the old law prescribed you to be, then you can come into the fold. The Gentiles, just as they were, were fully in the fold of Christ. All right? And that's important Maybe not for us as much because we're not stuck in the Old Testament culture and the law and the, and the traditions that came with that and, and things like circumcision and, and all those fun things. They don't mean near as much to us as they do to an Orthodox Jew even still to this day. All right? But here we go. So Peter's gone to Cornelius' house to preach. And it says, while Peter was still saying these things, so he's preaching to them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that would be the Jews, who had come with Peter, were, they were amazed. They were amazed. Because God is treating them just like he treats the Jews. Okay? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So what's backwards about this? Yeah. They received the Spirit before baptism. Now, this is the only place I've found this in the entire Bible. So why did it happen? Chuck. It wasn't for those that received it. It was those that were there with Peter. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And what does he tell them to do immediately after? Yeah, 
The command is still there. It doesn't say he said, this is a good idea. He says, he commanded them. You see that? So it is, you have to admit, it's out of order. It's the only time. It's an anomaly. If you state your whole faith based on this, you're going to lead yourself down the wrong path. That's why we always talk about context. I can pick and choose, and people will come to try to shock you in these moments. They will pick and choose very small little pieces of Scripture and say, Ha ha, your whole basis is wrong. way Gentiles receive salvation when if you really read the whole thing uh, Peter was reluctant that's why he brought witnesses because he was reluctant to go to the Gentiles yeah he was and uh, it's a twofold thing not only did he open up the kingdom for Gentiles God opened it up yeah. but uh, also Something that was very solid in the Jewish religion, also in the early Christian religion, was the diet that they, that they were supposed to yeah. abstain from. Yep. And he so he said, if God opened that up, you know, you know there was a, God was just sharing there was a big change of coming. Yeah. And so uh, you gotta you gotta put that in the in the pot and yeah, let it do a little it, bit. And let's not forget as well, Peter, this is an apostle. And this is actually one of the ones that is amongst, like, that the, the majority of the church looks to as one of the main leaders at the time, especially in Jerusalem. God, God has a tendency to use what he knows to do things. Yeah. He knows Peter really well. And one of the things he knew about Peter is Peter doesn't accept things. You've got to show him. Yeah, he's stubborn, okay. for sure, yeah. you got to show him, just like when he was in Joppa, to start that off. Yeah. Okay, so here, God says, I'm going to show you, Peter, that this is the right thing to do. That's right. And that's where it's coming from, is God has a tendency to do that with all of us if we just listen. He knows who we are and how we act and what makes us tick. And he uses that, for lack of a better term, to his advantage. Yeah, well, I... I know why he said for lack of a better term, but it's just, that's the reality too. That is the reality. And um, Carl, you want to say something? Oh, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, I have used this before to minister to people. Like there's this one guy at Walmart and he was already preaching the gospel at work. Um, Cause you see a lot of people and I couldn't convince him. And I kind of worried about trying to convince him. He didn't have, yet have the Holy Spirit because he wasn't baptized. And I got to talking to him and I said, all right, well, fine. Since you believe you have the Holy Spirit, then do like they did, and now go get baptized. And he, he got baptized, but I, I couldn't push him too hard that he hadn't yet received it, so I just, fine. Be like Cornelius, go get baptized. Yeah, I, um, so I think the, the proper manner is very easy in, in the Bible, but I also think that we, when we're dealing with people and trying to teach them the truth, we have to, there is always a give and take. So, um, that just, that just always is. And to be honest with you, if you have to have perfect understanding when you're baptized, then probably none of us got baptized at the right time. And I don't know if there's ever going to be a time where you can get baptized if you have perfect understanding. But anyway, um, what I want you to see in this moment, though, before we move on, this is the most important part, is that this is 
something that is causing a hiccup. It's choking, if you will, the church. This is something that not many people in the New Testament church are struggling with. Specifically, the Jews are struggling with this concept that there's not things that the Gentiles must change. Diet, circumcision, that's why, remember we already discussed that Holy Spirit is our seal. It is our circumcision now. Okay? These customs are extremely important. Not just the church is tripping over them. Peter's tripping over them. He's one of the lead guys. He's tripping over them. All right? Now, let me show you because what Chuck said, what Paul said is very important. What's happening here is not for those who get baptized after they receive the Spirit. What's happening is for those who are witnessing this. Okay? So Peter goes back and he starts telling everybody what's happening. This is chapter 11 where he goes back home and he starts telling everybody, this is what happened. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us. Just like we experienced in Acts chapter 2. This is what happened right in front of us. And then he says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me go one more real quick. Acts chapter 15. This is the Jerusalem council. Give me the backstory. It's Peter, because Peter's the one who stands up, uses this same exact experience for the whole Jerusalem council, for all the elders of the church, for all the leaders of the church. They're all there. This is the first convention, if you will. And Peter's the one who stands up and says it. But even Peter in this day, didn't he have a struggle? Wasn't he rebuked? Why was he rebuked? Yeah, because when certain Jews came around, he kind of had a little bit of a change of heart. Yeah, he kind of didn't want to be necessarily associated with those Gentiles. And who rebuked him? Mm. It was Paul. So just like Paul was saying about Peter being stubborn and God knowing that and using those things to his advantage at times, even the day he stands up to make the declaration that's going to change the church forever, he gets rebuked for not applying it to himself. That's how much of a hiccup this really was on the New Testament church. So if you just pull it out, you can come with, up with all kinds of theory, but when you put it in context, it's very obvious to see that this happened for a very specific reason. Everybody agree with that? Then we're gonna move on. Go ahead. You also have to remember, I think it's Luke 14 or Luke 17 where Jesus was talking and he was talking about repentance. And he was saying that repentance was for the Jews, but it was, it was also for all nations. Mm -hmm. And you also have to remember this, even though Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem, but the, the, uh, the salvation of the gospel for all people, and Jesus said everything, but they were stuck in Jerusalem. Really, they didn't get un, unstuck until uh, Paul, Paul stopped persecuting, well, Saul stopped persecuting the church. By him persecuting the church, his church scattered, and you got, you got the Christians in Samaria, you got the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and, and others. The church really, 
Uh, I don't. I won't say that that Peter stopped them or had to say so, but Paul had a lot to do with this church leaving Jerusalem. Absolutely, he was the main one called to the Gentiles. That was his calling. That's right. Go ahead, Chuck. I wonder if it came to Peter's mind when he when he went separate himself when Christ had said, "I have other sheep, and I need to bring them in my fold too." He said, "Oh." That's what he was talking about. Yeah, the Gentiles. Yeah, absolutely. Were you going to say something, Dad? Oh, I thought you raised your hand. Sorry. All right. So put it all into context. Here's another one. This one's fun, too. This one's fun. Acts chapter 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Now let me ask you a question before we get any further. Is Philip an apostle? He was one of the original 12 listed in Mark. Or Mark, right? Mark. Anyway. I believe he is an apostle. Now check this out. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what, he, what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. And look what it says he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. So he goes into Samaria. Many, many are demon-possessed. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now, most of you probably know that there was another guy that's going to play a role in this story. It's Simon. Simon the sorcerer. Right? Um, okay, so verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon the sorcerer, I know it doesn't say that, but that, I'm saying that, himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. But how would the gifts of the Holy Spirit impart to the, the Samaritan Christians? You, are you? Their father. How, how uh, I am. I am. Uh, but I want to point out first, before we get there, before we get there, hold on. I want to point out first, have they been baptized? Yes. They have been baptized. Have they received the Holy Spirit? This is where I think it's important to remember that even though we all get the same Spirit, we don't all get it in the same ways. Okay? Now, I'm about to make a case. And we have 10 minutes, so no one's allowed to talk. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, about, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, I want you to see this. Philip is an apostle. At least according to the first list that I showed you. Philip is an apostle. He goes down. He does miracles. He shows, just like Paul was talking about, he shows that he's an apostle through the things that he's doing. 
And the people come to Jesus and he baptizes them. Right? They are baptized. I'm not saying he specifically baptizes every person, but they're baptized. But then it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. Are Peter and John apostles? They are. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, pay attention. I've never went into this as deep as I'm going to today. I've said this in passing, and I'm okay if you completely disagree. It says, then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Hold on. Hold on. We have pointed out so far it's only apostles. We have also pointed out already that Paul says, not just by what you saw out of me, but by what you're experiencing at the church, even though that church was dysfunctional. Did they have spiritual gifts in Corinth? Yeah, they had spiritual gifts. Remember, they always, everybody wanted to speak in tongues. Remember that? And he was telling them how prophecy was better than tongues. Remember that? All right. Now when Simon saw, now when Simon the sorcerer saw the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he wanted to buy it. He wanted to buy it. He wanted to buy the power of miracles. But not just miracles, being able to impart that power to others. Don't miss that. Because this is about the clearest verse I'm going to give you. Where something different is happening. Alright? Let me give you one more. This is the easiest one. But this one, you have the same thing. But it's different. All right, Acts chapter 19. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. What did John preach? Baptism for repentance of sins. That's what he preached. There was no Holy Spirit in that baptism. They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That person was Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Did they get baptized again? They got baptized not only into repentance, but into Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's right. And the Holy Spirit. Don't forget, the discussion was not have you ever heard of Jesus? The discussion was, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? No, we've never even heard of it. We don't even know what that is. All right? So, and, the, and then it says, and when Paul, on hearing they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. So what are you seeing that is the correlation? 
You're seeing an apostle, at least at this point. I'm going to throw another monkey wrench in just a second. It's going to be fun. But you're seeing at least the apostles, when they laid hands on people, they begin to do miraculous things. The thing is, when Philip was in Samaria, if he had to... If he had the capability of imparting the Holy Spirit, he would have did it. He did everything else, but they had to send for the apostles. Okay, I'm going to say potentially. I agree more than I disagree with that, but I got a couple more scriptures for you to chew on. All right? That's a very dangerous thing to do, by the way, to one of your elders. So, <clears throat> But we're going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving. <laughs> Yeah, Philip is an apostle. I'm not saying Philip's not an apostle. I'm not saying Philip could not have done this. I'm saying he didn't. That's all I said. He didn't. And then they sent two other apostles, being Peter and John, just like when you get to this one in Acts chapter 19, it's Paul, who's also a apostle. And every time you see that there's this laying on of hands, and then there's miraculous things that happen afterwards. And that's obvious. That part is obvious. And it's right there in the context of the scripture. Look at 1 Timothy. Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he covers this in more depth than anybody else. And if you just read real quickly and, you, and you're not looking for this, you probably won't see it. You probably won't. Because it's not something that is discussed over and over and over again in Scripture, but it's discussed in really interesting ways, right? Let no one despise you of your youth. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Timothy. He's talking about Timothy. He's saying, don't let anybody despise you because you're young, even though you're a leader in the church. Okay, he says, but it set, the, uh, uh, set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And then he says this, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practicing these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So he says to Timothy, you were given a gift. And you need to practice that gift. And if you look through, if you look through what he's telling them surrounding that, it's about speaking. It's about reading scripture in public. It's about teaching the gospel. And then he says the word prophesy, right? Which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, I cannot say this indefinitely. I cannot say this without any doubt. But I can tell you that, yet again, this is one of the only references where you're going to find where apostles are not specifically mentioned and the laying on of the hands, and a gift. What I will also tell you is, if it's the gift of teaching, it's not miraculous. If it's the gift of prophecy, which it could be as well based on the context surrounding it, it would be what I would at least consider to be miraculous. Okay? So, let me say this as clear as I possibly can. Up to this point, with those miraculous gifts that are displayed throughout much of the New Testament, we 
at very best, you could say there might be two groups of people that can impart these gifts. But most likely, you cannot also rule out that in this council of elders were some of the apostles. All right? But you can't do it any other, you're not going to find it any other way. Let me show you this too, because I think this might play into why Philip goes down to Samaria, but he doesn't just start imparting spiritual gifts on everybody, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, In the presence of God in Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. Don't forget in that group in Samaria was Simon the sorcerer, who once he saw Peter and John passing out spiritual gifts, if you will, to the people who were baptized, he was in that crowd trying to buy it. And he says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Okay? Just another thought. One more. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Oh. I thought Paul said that it was Council of Elders. See what I did there? Because people will tell you, and I've heard this many times, that, have, that, are, that believe what I'm teaching you because this is what I believe, okay? People will tell you that it was a, um, that the apostles could pass it and whoever they originally touched, then they could come out and pass it to the next person. Okay, But I am telling you that there's one case where he points out a council of elders and then later on to the same person he says, don't forget that that gift that's in you, it came when I laid my hands on you. Him being Paul the Apostle. Okay? All right. We're almost done, but we started late. But I had to get to this because of where Paul Securo started us. I had to get to this. Okay? We can cut it after this. Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and then he names them Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. While they were there worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You see, I, I, not only do I want you to see that exactly what Paul was talking about, where they, they were called. They were literally called by name by the Holy Spirit. But there was also, again, this process of laying on of hands. In Romans um, chapter 1, it talks about, Paul says that he, wish, he, he needs to get to the church in Rome. Y'all aren't allowed to see that yet. Just kidding. And he says that he is trying to get to the church in Rome so that he can impart spiritual gifts upon them. 
as if his presence is needed for that to happen. Okay? So we have to lay that foundation. You have to see this part of the scripture, which many people who will talk to you about the Holy Spirit won't even bring up, won't even really probably even know that there is this significance of laying on of the hands that's surrounded by these miraculous events of these people for the first time. Okay? And that's where we're going to leave it today. And we'll pick it up next week from there. All right? All right? Everybody good? Anybody need to say anything? Tell me I'm completely wrong. Sure. Yeah. Are, are you distinguishing between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as teaching prophecy? I am, dis I am, dis I am with the laying on of hands. What I see after is miraculous powers. That is what I see. I see tongues. I see prophesying. I see, and we can go back through that list if you want, but no, I'm not distinguishing that you need an apostle to lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. What I'm telling you is the Holy Spirit comes in different forms to different people, and I believe that that's those different forms. For example, Paul's going to say just the different gifts. Not everybody's going to be the teacher. Not everybody's going to be the prophet. Not everybody's going to get to speak in tongues. Not everybody's going to be, go to the basic ones, encourager. Not everyone's going to get to be the leader. These are gifts that have been given to you by God, and you have been called to these things because of the gifts given to you through the Holy Spirit. So not everything happens exactly the same way to every single person. Not in the New Testament, not in the time that we live in now, And it won't be this, it, not everybody will get it the same way in the future either. Does that make sense? Okay. Then we'll leave it there and we'll pick up on why I believe next week. This is my, my interpretation, but I believe that this specific stuff that you see throughout the New Testament um, that. Let me go right here. Mark 16. This is where we're going to start next week. These things were promised by the people who were carrying the light of God. But I don't, I don't, think, I don't, I don't think that this is necessarily the promise that is guaranteed to you. This. All right? So we'll chew on that for now. And we'll come back next week and I'll tell you exactly how many apostles there are.